Well, as you find your seat, I'd ask if you would please find your way to the book of Exodus. I'm going to begin by reading to you Exodus chapter 28, starting at verse 41. But our main time this morning is going to be taken up with considering what happens in Exodus chapter 29. You see, in Exodus chapters 25, 26, 27, and 28, it tells the story of how God told Moses to build the tabernacle, that tent that would be the center of Israel's worship, that place of sacrifice and meeting with God. And and these chapters, these four chapters in the book of Exodus, they speak of the furnishings of the tabernacle, both inside of it and without it. They speak of the tabernacle itself with its frame and sides made of boards and, and the coverings that would go over it. And it speaks of the courtyard that would go around the tabernacle. But as well, it tells us in Exodus chapter 28 of the garments that Aaron, the first priest of Israel, and his sons would wear. First the high priest and then sort of the attendant, the assisting priest. And in the midst of describing those garments, there's a very significant statement made in verse 41 of chapter 28. Look at it there, please, with me. It says, So you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with them. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. Here God explained three and important, essential and important, I should say, aspects to the preparation of his servants. First, anointing. Second, consecration. And third, to sanctify them. Now, they're separated here because they express three somewhat different aspects. First of all, there's to anoint. This describes the application of the sacred oil on the head. And in the consistent idiom of the Bible, this speaks of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon an individual. If you're going to serve God, you've got to have the Holy Spirit upon you. Secondly, consecrate. This is actually the translation of two Hebrew words, and it has the idea of filling the hands. You bring to God empty hands. By the way, that's part of the challenge, isn't it? To bring to God empty hands instead of hands filled with the nonsense that we fill our hands with. But to bring to God empty hands and have him fill your hands. And then the third aspect is to sanctify. And that most literally means to make clean, to set apart, to reserve for God's purposes. So the idea of being a priest was more than just putting on the special clothes that the priest would wear. No, actually, there was a ceremony that sought to reinforce these things in the lives of the priests of Israel. A ceremony that was rich with anoint, consecrate, and, uh, uh, come on, sanctify. It was right there. Now, In the midst of this, there's two things to remember. First of all, please remember that this ceremony pointed to spiritual truth and reality that had to be more than just an acted out ritual. As we're going to see in the ritual that they acted out described in Exodus 29, they poured oil upon the priest's head. Well, what that was a, a picture of was the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the priest. But look. You could pour a gallon of oil on the priest's head, but if the Holy Spirit wasn't a reality in the life, it wouldn't matter. 
So these rituals were supposed to be connected to a spiritual reality. And a matter of fact, the spiritual reality was even more important than the ritual, though the ritual was important as well. Now, if the spiritual reality was more important than the ritual, do you understand? You can have the spiritual reality even apart from the ritual. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. We're not going to act out what we read now in Exodus chapter 29. Thank you, Jesus. You'd probably be arrested if you acted out what we read in Exodus chapter 29. But, but, the spiritual reality of it must be true in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ because especially under the new covenant that God gives us as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called priests. Are you aware of this? Let me read you two passages, both from 2 Peter chapter 2. One is at verse 5 where it says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did you see that? You are a holy priesthood as followers of Jesus Christ. That's very deliberate language meant to link you (coughs) with certain ideas here in the Old Testament with the establishment of the priest. And then here's another one from verse 9 of of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I could talk all day on that. A royal priesthood, not just a priesthood, but a royal one. But we'll focus just on the idea that in the new covenant, we have I'm looking out on a room full of priests, men and women, new Christians and older Christians. You know, it doesn't matter what we are priests before God. So this in Exodus 29 speaks to us in a special way. So you ready for this? Fasten your seatbelt. Look now. Verse one, Exodus chapter 29. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them. For ministering to me as priests, take one bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of what uh, them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them into the basket with a bull and two rams. Does this strike anybody as a little bit strange? You come to church one morning and what's there on the platform? There's a bull and two rams. There's, I don't know, like about a five-gallon bucket full of oil and a lot of bread. You say, oh, what are they doing this morning? Is it the petting zoo? No. We're going to recognize a man being called to pastoral ministry. Well, good heavens, what are you going to do with all that stuff? Well, you just wait and see what they're going to do with this stuff. Now, please, many times I I ask you as, as we read through the Bible, to let it be a movie that runs in your head. And I appeal to you again, let it be that way for you. Let the movie run in your head because this really happened. Now, although I keep thinking of things to qualify, this doesn't happen until Leviticus chapters 8 and 9. Here the ceremony is described, but it wasn't carried out until later. Verse 4. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. So think of that. Think of the tabernacle. There it stands in the center of Israel. There it is with the courtyard. And this ceremony doesn't take place inside the tabernacle. 
but outside the tabernacle doors inside of the courtyard. And everybody could see over the fence and see what was going on. You take Aaron and his sons, and what do you do? You stand them in front of the tabernacle, and you take their clothes off. Now, I don't think for a moment that they were nude, but they were probably stripped down to what we would consider to be the undergarments, and they were ceremonially washed. They did not wash themselves. They were washed, and it's a powerful picture. First of all, there's some humility involved in that, isn't there? Everybody says, yes, I need to be washed. I am a sinner who needs to be cleansed. Everybody should know it. I'm not going to stand before God's people and minister to him in some way. Well, you know, if only you guys could come up to my exalted spiritual level, then you'd be doing really well or something like that. But no, to minister to God's people, here I am needing to be washed. And then they're washed in front of everybody. And then notice what happens next. It says there in verse 5. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe and the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. Okay, so do you get what happens next? First you wash them publicly, then you clothe them publicly. And the garments that were described back in Exodus chapter 28 were put upon the priest. Now, to be honest, the high priest had much fancier garments than the other priests, but they all had special garments. And there they are to be clothed, first washed, then clothed, and then what happens? Verse 7 says that they shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head. Now, please understand how this worked. The anointing oil wasn't just dripped or wiped on their head. Now, up here at the front of our platform, we have anointing oil in nice little, you know, jars. And if you come up for prayer in the prayer team and you ask to be anointed for oil or we think that you should be anointed with oil, we'll ask you. We won't do it without asking you. I mean, we just don't want to be putting oil on people's heads without their permission. But we'll take a little dab of oil and I'll wipe it on somebody's forehead. Sometimes I'll do a wipe just like that across. Sometimes, I don't know if it's the old Roman Catholic in me or something like this, but sometimes I'll make a cross on their forehead. I don't know. But you know what they did in the Old Testament? They took that bottle and they poured it out over their head. I think that would really cut down on people coming forward for prayer, don't you? You knew you were anointed. The oil dripped down over your head. It was that greasy hair look that some people like. All over your head, dripping down, anointed, covered with the Holy Spirit. So get this picture. At the very end of it there, it says at verse 9, So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. And we think, Oh, good. It's over. The ceremony's over. Look at the three things that happened. They were washed, they were clothed, and they were anointed. Now, isn't that beautiful? And do you recognize that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't know if you are all followers of Jesus, but I'll speak to you as if you are. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are washed by Jesus' work on your behalf. You're clothed because of what Jesus gives you. And you're anointed by the Holy Spirit of God to live out your life for him. And by the way, I'll say this. This is the birthright of everybody who's given their lives to Jesus Christ. 
If you don't feel washed today, come up for prayer after service. We'll lay hands on you and pray for you. That you can live in the washing and the cleansing that Jesus Christ provides you. If you don't feel clothed, and I don't mean literally, but I mean, you know how it is. You just feel naked before this world. You feel ill-equipped and, and ashamed and not prepared. You just feel at a loss. You should feel the clothing of Jesus Christ upon you. Come up and we'll pray for you. If you feel you need to be anointed, you need a fresh work of the Holy Spirit on your life, and you feel like you need this, come forward and we'll pray for you. This is your birthright as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's, there's no need for a single person to walk out of this room where you don't feel these things are active and alive in your life. But I will say, it doesn't end here. When it, and then we just read verse 10, and the priests were consecrated, amen. No, now's where it gets tricky. Now's where it gets dicey. And starting at verse 10, and, and I pray that you forgive me here because over this next section of this chapter, just, just in, in observance of time, I'm going to be summarizing some sections here. From verses 10 through 14, it describes first what they did with the bull. Now, remember those three animals that you were to set aside? The bull and two rams. What do you do with the bull? They would bring the bull before and they would have the priests lay their hands on the bull and confess their sins. And then they would kill the bull and bleed it. And they would burn most of the bull on the altar. Some of it they would take and burn outside of the camp. And this was the sin offering for the atonement of sin. Mr. Priest, you have to remember that your sin is atoned for. You have to live every day in recognition of atonement, of the work that's been done as an atonement on your behalf. That was the first thing. The second thing happened from verses 15 to 18, and this was the burnt offering, where you would take the first of the two rams, and you would lay your hands upon it and confess your sins. Don't ever forget this. This was an important part of the sacrificial system. Before that animal was sacrificed, you laid your hands. By the way, the, the, the Hebrew is very intense. You pressed your hands on the head of that animal and you confessed your sins. You identified with it. This animal is going to be sacrificed, but it should be me. The animal is innocent, but I am guilty. That The animal is, is without blemish, so to speak, but I have blemishes all over me. Identification with the animal. And then that second ram... The burnt offering was the picture of a life completely given unto God because that animal would completely be burned upon the altar. Its blood would be taken and sprinkled all around the altar. It was all about the altar with the first ram, a life of consecration. It's almost like this. The, the bull that was sacrificed was all about atonement and what happened for us on the cross. Now, the second ram is more like living this idea of, no, my whole life belongs to Jesus. It's him's. I'm surrendered to him. Jesus, I take all of me and lay it down upon the altar. There I am as your living sacrifice, as Paul would later speak about it in uh, Romans chapter 12. Here I am, Lord, upon your altar as a living sacrifice. But don't forget, there's one ram left. And what do they do with the second ram? Verses 19 through 28 describe the consecration offering where the blood was applied and a meal was enjoyed. And this is what was happening. They would go up to the second ram and lay their hands on the head of the ram. And then the ram was killed. The ram was bled. 
and they took some of the blood. Ladies and gentlemen, they took some of the warm blood of the second ram and they walked right up to the priestly candidates who stood there in front of the tabernacle and they took some of that warm blood of the ram and they wiped it on the right ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe. What a ceremony. The blood of sacrifice and consecration is now upon your ear. Who will you listen to? A flood of voices come at us every day, don't they? We get the input. It's like a fire hose coming at us almost every hour of the day. Who are you going to listen to? No, it's the blood that's on your ear. The blood was applied to the thumb of the right hand. Here's a hand with which you do things with. By the way, it was the right ear, the right hand, the right foot, because the right was the, 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 the side of skill and strength. It's on your right hand. What are you going to do for God? What are you going to rule with this hand? Is it going to be given to God or given to something else? I love the old story in the, the Middle Ages when monks were out evangelizing barbarian Germanic tribes and there was this one tribe of great warriors, these old barbarian warriors who were all led to Christ. And they said, OK, we're all believe in Jesus and we'll all get baptized. And as the monk was baptizing them all, all of these warriors held their right hand out of the water when they were getting baptized. So the first one happened and the monk said, well, that's weird. Second one happened. Boy, he did it, too. By the time of the third one, he goes, OK, stop, stop, stop. Everybody tell me what's happening with this. And the, 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 these warriors, these soldiers, they said, Listen, I might have to murder somebody with this hand. I'm not putting it under the water. No, no, no. If that blood is on your hand, it's different. And then the blood would be applied to the big toe of the right foot. Where are you going to go? Would you take that blood-bought head, hand, and foot into a place that Jesus wasn't present at? That Jesus didn't want his glory to shine at? That it rejected Jesus. You see, what an impression it would make. And by the way, without trying to sound too gross, but without trying to dress it up either, to feel the warmth of the blood on your ear would certainly be striking. You remember those pictures that came from the Middle East some years ago when they first started doing voting? They would hold up a purple finger because when somebody would vote, they would dip the ink and finger, and it would be a mark that would remain. I voted. It said... Well, listen, how many of us need this mark upon our very soul? I belong to Jesus, head, hand, and foot. It all belongs to him. Now, as powerful as that picture was, it, wouldn't, it wasn't enough. Wouldn't you think, okay, great, man, you got through to me. It all belongs to God. No, it wasn't enough. You know what they did next? Next, they took some of that blood of the second ram And they mixed some of the holy anointing oil with it. And with that strange mixture of blood and oil, which, by the way, I don't even know how that mixes. Blood and oil, they would take that mixture and they would sprinkle it on the priests. This is gross. Okay, priest, stand still. Blood all over me. Okay, now stand still. Here's this mixture of blood and oil. Sprinkle it on you. 
And the priest would stand there, but the picture would be perfectly clear. Sacrifice and spirit must mark my life. The blood of sacrifice and the oil of the Holy Spirit. Then, then, there was one other thing that they had to do. They took the breast portion, the brisket of that second ram. And you know what they did? They took that and they waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. By the way, what a mess. Take a piece of bloody meat and just start waving it around. They took that meat, waved it before the Lord, saying, it belongs to you, Lord. And then what did they do? Then they barbecued it and ate it in a ceremonial meal before God. Because God said this, I want to join with you in a meal. I want you to receive something from me. Do you understand that part of our consecration with God is a continual fellowship with him? I'll put it this way. This business with the blood on the, the ear and the, and the hand and the foot, that, that was a ceremony that happened once in the life of the priest. But they ate every day. And God said, I want something of this, of everyday life to intrude in us so you would know you're consecrated to me every day. And ladies and gentlemen, eating is a lot like joining with and connecting with Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Eating is a lot like connecting with Jesus. I'll give you at least four ways. Number one, it's personal. No one can eat for you. You have to do your own eating. You have to put the food in your mouth. If I enjoy a good meal, it doesn't do you any good if you don't eat. So it's personal. And ladies and gentlemen, you have to connect with Jesus Christ personally. Secondly, eating is inward. It doesn't do any good just to leave the food on the plate. As nice as it looks, and you took a picture of it and put it up on your Facebook and all of that to show everybody what you're eating, it doesn't do you any good until you take it within. And I don't mean to sound grotesque, but I'll speak in a silly way. You could take that piece of meat and start rubbing it on your face. It doesn't do you any good, does it? It's not by osmosis. You need to take it inside of you. And you need to connect with Jesus inwardly, not just in an outward superficial way. It is possible. I hope it's difficult. But it's possible for you to come here and attend church and connect with Jesus only in a very outward superficial way. When other people sing to Jesus, you're just checked out. When other people are praying, you're daydreaming. Well, while the pastor's preaching, you know, you're doing who knows what. But it's possible to be in the presence of those things, but only connected in an outward way. It, it makes about as much sense as taking that piece of meat and rubbing it on your face. You need to receive it inside of yourself. But then here's a third way. Eating is also active. You do something. You, you just don't take food in your mouth and just immediately swallow it. You do something. You have to engage with it. Some medicines that we receive, they just inject it in us and you don't do anything. But the medicine works. Eating isn't like that. You have to take it, chew it, consume it. It's active. And then finally, eating arises out of a sense of need and it produces a sense of satisfaction. There's people among us that you have a sense of need. You know how much you need Jesus. Here he is ready to connect with you. But you know what? If you'll connect with him, you will have a sense of satisfaction. 
You know that great feeling you have after a good meal? It just feels good, doesn't it? And I can tell from some of us, you know, we've been feeling good a lot. (laughs) But it just feels good. Now listen, that sense of soul satisfaction is what Jesus wants you to have. Now we think about this, all this together and go, wow, what a picture. Lord, I'm amazed. (laughs) There they are. They're washed. There they are. They're clothed. There they are. They're anointed. But that doesn't end it. Then there's the bull, the sin offering. Then there's the first ram, the consecration offering. Then there's the second ram, which is like the fellowship and the ongoing life offering. Wow, this is so powerful. The blood and the oil sprinkled on their garments. The blood on the ear. The, wow, it's all so powerful together. And we would think, well, that's enough. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> verses 26, excuse me, 29 through 37 describe this. How they repeated that every day for seven days. Now, I dare say that by the first day, you're deeply moved. I would even say that when the blood is applied to you and the things are sprinkled on you, wouldn't you even think there's a tear coming to your eye? It's all very deeply moving about your own soul's consecration to God. This is deeply moving. That's day one. By day four, you're like, good heavens, this again? When is this going to end? Day five, aren't you saying this? It smells around here. I'm living at the tabernacle. Can't I go home? What's going on with this? Isn't this ever going to end? They had to rinse, lather, repeat for seven days to get through all of this. And all of this, all of this in the midst of the blood, in the midst of the oil, in the midst of the sweat, in the midst of all of it. God did something in the lives of those priests. I imagine how all of this brought them to an end of themselves. What do I mean by that? I mean that it taught the priest through the tedious repetition of the fundamentals of ministry to the Lord. Washing, clothing, anointing, and focused on the blood of sacrifice. Okay, okay great. Don't we move beyond that? No, let's come back again. Washing, clothing, anointing, focused on the blood of sacrifice. Really? Yes. Washing, clothing, uh, um, uh, anointing. Thank you. I get ahead of myself in my head. Focused on the blood of sacrifice. Do you see? There is a foundation in our walk with God that we never move from. And I I pray that you come every week or, or twice a week or more than that. Here, you come to this place and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, would you wash me? Would you clothe me? Would you anoint me? Would you focus me on your atoning sacrifice? That's what God wants to do for you. Secondly, I think it would be a relentless focus on the work and the power of sacrificial blood. Without trying to exaggerate, this would be a blood-drenched week. And you would know sacrificial blood means everything. And in our lives, that would turn us towards a focus on who Jesus is and what he does for us. Thirdly, and I wonder if this wasn't almost the biggest thing. Thirdly, it would strip away all the glamour, all the celebrity, all the 
trappings of a man-centered ministry and glory. Could you imagine some fledgling young priest saying, ooh, yeah, I want to be a priest. How cool that would be. How cool did he think it was by day five? Ladies and gentlemen, whatever God allows into our life to strip away the image and the illusion of celebrity, of glory, of man-centeredness, it's a gift from him. And this was part of what was happening here. And then fourthly, I would say this. It trained a priest to be satisfied with secret fellowship with the Lord. And what do I mean by that? Look, they just lived there at the tabernacle for seven days. They drew close to God and they learned the value of secret fellowship to the Lord. All right, let's move on here. There's a section there in verses 39, 40, and, and 41 where it speaks about the morning and evening sacrifice. But now starting at verse 42, it says this. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you. And when I there, I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Do this, continue this, this burnt offering every morning and every evening, which they continued all up until the New Testament times, except for the seasons of captivity and national apostasy. Why? Because verse 42 says God wanted to meet with them and to speak with his people. It's a very catching phrase there in verse 42, where I will meet with you to speak with you. God wants to meet with you and he wants to speak with you. And some of you, you've been running from God. Some of you, you don't want to meet with him, but he wants to meet with you. And when he wants to meet with you, he wants to speak to you. And yes, you know what? He may speak to you about some things in your life that need to change. But if you listen, he'll also speak to you about his rich love for you, how much he cares about you, the good things that he has for you. But he wants to meet with you and speak with you. And so God would consecrate not only the priest, but the tabernacle. Look at it here. We'll finish with this, starting at verse 44. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Now, by the way, please notice this in verse 44. Who does the work of consecrating? God says, so I will consecrate. I think it would be possible for a priest to think he consecrated himself. Hey, didn't I have all this stuff done to me? Didn't I hang around for seven days? No, Mr. Priest, you did not consecrate yourself. The Lord did it. You simply put yourself in the position where God could do it. You removed hindrances. You said, yes, God, do that work. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't want anybody walking out of here thinking that you somehow consecrate yourself. No, it's God's work in you, but, but. Why don't you look at whatever hindrances God would have you remove to his consecrating work in his life and put yourself in his presence so that he can do it. Why? Look at it there in verse 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Now, as I mentioned to you before, they do not carry out this ceremony, this ritual in the book of Exodus. They don't carry it out 
until the book of Leviticus, chapters 8 or 9. I think it's 8 and 9, actually. Do you know what happened when all of this was over? When all the blood, when all the sweat, when all the gore is over, when it was all done after seven days, and, and Aaron and his sons are like, oh, I can't believe all that we've been through the last week. Listen to what happened. It's in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It says this. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I don't blame someone for thinking this. What could be worth this seven-day ceremony? I mean, wouldn't you be thinking that after day four, five, or six? What's worth this? I'll tell you what's worth it. The glory of God displayed. I trust that most of the people in this room know something of that display of God's glory. If you do... You want more of it. If you've never known anything of it, you should ask God for it. But do you see how God so often does it? Through this consecration unto him. You see, there's a price to pay for being fully surrendered to God. And the ceremony of consecration was long, it was bloody, and it took persistence to complete. But the reward was far greater than the cost. The glory of the Lord was revealed. And that's what we long for in our midst. I'll be honest with you. I I, I didn't really think very carefully how to end this message. So let's end it with this. Let's be quiet before the Lord just for a few moments. And let him speak to the individual life. And let him speak about what it means to have his blood on the ear on the hand, on the foot of you, his priests. Let's just be quiet before the Lord for a few moments. Lord Jesus, we would never have believed that we would be priests except your word tells us that it is so. And so we believe it. Lord, we want to be consecrated priests. We want, in this very figurative yet real sense, your blood to be upon our head, our hand, and our foot. We want you to sprinkle us with the blood of your sacrifice and the oil of your Holy Spirit. We want to be washed. We want to be clothed. We want to be anointed. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Lord, this this happened more than 3,000 years ago. Yet it speaks to us today, and we receive it with gratitude. Now help us to worship you and show, show some of your glory in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.